Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. This morning we're going to continue the series on uh, the signs. Now this scripture up here is not right because we plan the series out weeks ahead of time, but then as I'm prepping for it, I change it. And so we're only going to do the first part of it. Chapter 6 is something I could spend weeks and weeks on. So I had to narrow it down to just a little part of it. So we're really looking at verses 1 through 14-ish, 15-ish this morning. So uh, that was my, my doing there. This morning, uh, as we continue this series, we've already looked at the signs that point to Jesus. Okay, and We looked at the first sign was Jesus turned water into wine with the understanding that Jesus is the wine. He is the fulfillment of everything. Uh, then we looked at the healing of the nobleman's son, and we understood when we're limited by time and space, uh, he's unlimited. And so he was able to bring healing without ever even going to that young son. And then last week we looked at the lame man at the pool, and we learned that God helps those that can't help themselves. This man had nothing and no one, but Jesus was able to help them. And that was good news for all of us. It's not about helping ourselves. It's about God helps those that can't help themselves. This morning I'm gonna, we're going to look at one of the most well-known miracles. Uh, it's the only miracle that's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And I don't know if I realize that or not. But it's the only miracle in all four of the Gospels with different perspectives. Um, Jesus' miracles had a purpose. It wasn't to mesmerize or to impress people. It wasn't even to gather crowds. It was a miracle, a sign miracle that would point to Him. And that's really what this is all about, is pointing to Jesus. He wanted people to come to a saving knowledge of Himself. The reality of His miracles pointed to the truth of His message. Now catch that. The reality of the miracles pointed to the truth of his message. Jesus wasn't primarily a miracle worker. He was primarily a teacher. Okay, in Matthew uh, chapter, five, chapter 4 lays all that out. He was a teacher, a disciple maker, and then a miracle worker. Okay, and so when he lays out his purpose in Matthew chapter, chapter 4, he's a teacher first. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 are what? The Sermon on the Mount. So it follows the agenda of Jesus. But catch this, Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker. He is the Son of God, and the miracles were used to point people to Jesus. And so, in essence, we can say the miracles were certainly important, but the miracles weren't the, 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 the final uh, product. Uh, the miracles were designed to point people to who Jesus is as the, the Son of God. John 14, 11 tells us this, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. These miracles that Jesus performed were undeniable. Water to wine, healing the nobleman's son at the exact time. Remember that story? The guy that was lame for 38 years. I mean, no one could deny these. In fact, even, well, next week, I, I don't want to preach next week's sermon yet, but John chapter 9 might be my favorite of all of these miracles, the, the man that was born blind. It, it was an undeniable miracle that only the Pharisees could deny. And the reason they could deny it is because they were blind. 
All right. But come back next week anyhow, okay? Come back next week anyhow. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so let's take a, take a look at this sign miracle. Now, bread is important in most cultures. And in my culture, the Italian culture, bread... My, my uh, friend John Doretta uh, used to work in New York City when we first moved down here, and he would bring Italian bread from uh, the bakery, uh, and he would stop off at the house, and it was, here, here's how I describe it in my notes, it was a round loaf of glorified goodness. <laughs> Does anybody remember the bread John Doretta would bring? Family, couple people, oh, you know, it was amazing. It was amazing. We would would slice it, and you could just eat it the way it was. You could put butter on it. You could could toast it a little bit with butter, but it had a a crunch on the outside and a chewiness on the inside that was glorious. Oh, that's nothing. Wait till I get going here. How many are hungry this morning? How many believe they'll be hungry in just about five minutes? Yes, you will. Yes, you will. So there are different types of bread. Uh, You can see there... Different types of bread, and we use different types of bread for different things. Okay, so I'm going to list some different types of bread, and then I'm going to ask you, you can think about what your favorite sandwich is, okay, and we'll take that out loud, okay? So, we'll get there. But there's brioche bread, and brioche bread is best used for, does anybody know? That would be French toast. French toast. Maybe stuffed French toast with uh, cream cheese in the middle. Uh, uh, a strawberry on top for health. <laughs> Chibata. <laughs> I hadn't planned on saying that. You know, sometimes I just crack myself up, right? You get that, right? Uh, Chibata bread is perfect for paninis. It's a t- Focaccia bread is another Italian bread. And that can be eaten by itself. It, it's so glorious on its own. But it's also good with pasta vazul. How many of you know what pasta vazul is? Okay, this is how you respond to pasta vazul. Yes. <laughs> now, my wife, who is a Gentile, I don't know if you knew that or not, people think she's Italian, but she's a Gentile. Uh, she makes a pasta vazul. So focaccia bread. Uh, Pita bread can be used in gyros with Greek food. Wonderful. Shout out to the Olympia uh, on on Delcy Drive. Their pitas are amazing. And if Olympia, if you're watching and you want to sponsor us, let me know. (laughs) I'll be a spokesman for you. Uh, Whole wheat bread, which I eat most of now for sandwiches, very good. Uh, Indian food. How many like Indian food? Oh, good. You know the name of the bread? Naan. Wonderful. Real naan is made in a circular thing, and they slap it on the side. That's how they do it in the heat. Oh, it's amazing. You dip them. Okay, here's, here's the purpose of rye bread. I found the deep meaning of rye bread, and it is to put hot pastrami with Swiss and brown mustard on. That's what the purpose of rye bread is for. Personally, I like it without the seeds, but if you like it with the seeds, that's acceptable as well. The soft dinner rolls that come in the package that you buy, those are 
mostly acceptable for dipping the turkey gravy in after the turkey dinner. You get, are, you feel me? You with me? You with me? That, that's what that's for. Now, this is something I discovered too, uh, and th- this, is, this, is, this is true. The, the, the English muffin was created for McDonald's to make the Egg McMuffin. I don't know how true that is, but anyway, in my mind and in my heart and on my palate, that Egg McMuffin is a fine, fine sandwich for a fast food restaurant, a fine sandwich. They, they just do it right. They have everything in its proper place and in its proper order, including the cheese. The cheese, the cheese makes it. But anyway, that's the purpose of English muffin. Okay, here's one I haven't had in a while. Easter bread. How many know what Easter bread is? With the glaze on it? Okay. Now, some people make it with a hard-boiled egg. That is also acceptable. That is acceptable. Okay. Um, that's not how my mom made it, but it is acceptable to have a hard-boiled egg that's colored on it as part of the, the thing. But this Easter bread is sweet-ish, and you, you slice it, and you toast it, and you put butter on it. Heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. Now, my favorite bread is Italian bread with a crust on it. And here's the purpose of that. You dip it in the sauce when you're done. And it doesn't matter whether you call it gravy, you call it sauce, I don't care as long as you have Italian bread. Because here's the deal, you could call the sauce by its appropriate name. If you don't have Italian bread, it means nothing to me. <laughs> and everything you say from that moment really means nothing to me. It's the bread. You dip it in there. If you're in a, an Italian restaurant, now, now most of the servers know better than to step in front of an Italian while there's still something on the plate. But once in a while you get a Gentile server doesn't understand, just because there's sauce left on the plate doesn't mean I'm done. <laughs> when the bread is done and all the sauce is gone, then I'm done. That's Italian bread. Okay, how many are hungry? Wow. All right, favorite sandwich. Raise your hand, I'll call on you. Favorite sandwich, Ray? Reuben. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, sauerkraut or coleslaw? Kraut, eh, wrong. No, that's a wrong. It's a wrong answer. Uh, Justin, a cheesesteak. You know, online nobody mentioned the cheesesteak. So very important. So very important in life. Marcella, peppers and eggs. I got a story. My mother. Well, it's going to fit. When when we, oh, I can't get to it yet. I'll tell you my mother's story later. I don't want to jump ahead, Joe. Sausage, peppers, and onions. Another good one that they didn't mention online. I must have a lot of Gentiles online. Dor? I love you, dear. <laughs> Cheese, turkey, and mustard. That was on somebody's online. Joshua? What is it? Classic peanut butter and jelly. Come on, nothing wrong with that. John? Ham and cheese on rye. Any topping? Any spread? Mayo. Mayo? How about Miracle Whip? Did any of you eat Miracle Okay, listen. Wow. 
passionate. Listen, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from the Midwest. I never ate real mayonnaise, I think, till I got married. Because in the Midwest, Miracle Whip was what everybody had. And the reason before that, which I watched on a documentary, is, is that Kraft was trying to come up with a substitute for the Hellman's mayonnaise. This is true. And they wanted something without the eggs that were expensive at the time and something else. So they created Miracle Whip. And that's why in the Midwest, Miracle Whip is a big thing. That's very interesting that you're so passionate about your hatred towards Miracle Whip. Now I like mayonnaise. No, now I like mayonnaise for sure. Hellman's. Hellman's. Hellman's is one of the things that you can't buy. The, mayonnaise is one of the things you don't buy the cheap stuff for. Same with ketchup. Don't buy cheap ketchup. If you need the extra money, see, uh, see Nick and he'll help you with it. Let me get to Kim. Yes. Pumpernickel, turkey, no cheese, Swiss cheese, and mustard. Nick? Yes, Italian hoagie. Genoa salami. And cabacol. Sharp provolone or regular provolone? Sharp provolone. How many, if you had sharp provolone, you need to have it if you haven't, okay? It just adds that extra bite. It really does. Kenny? So, what was mine taking? So, I'm going to go with this one. Egg McMuffin with a hash brown. Egg McMuffin with a hash brown. Yeah, it's a hack. It's a McDonald's hack. In it. No, I get you. I get you. And I'll be in Tuesday, round nine. Yes, Sharon? A BLT. That was my mother's favorite. BLT is a favorite. Uh, wait, I have high expectations for you, sister. Okay. Yes. 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 You did not. You, you did not disappoint me. And now, and now to him, now to him who is able to do exceedingly. Anybody else? Yeah. You are welcome here at Hope Assembly of God. <laughs> you are welcome here. Yes, Andy. Yes. What type of bread? On a rye. Also acceptable. Very acceptable. Oh, yes, Sarah. A Monte Cristo. Very nice. In my younger days, when I had a gallbladder, I used to love that. <laughs> Well, we have fun, but bread, <laughs> I got to get to the sermon eventually. I got to get, oh, did you guys have something up, upstairs, Justin? Good old-fashioned grilled cheese. Grilled cheese. I had grilled cheese yesterday with salami. Yes. Tremendous, tremendous. Shout out to Aldi's, okay? Uh, Aldi's, if you're listening. <laughs> I've found that their meats are very good. Their, their, their Italian sliced meats and their cheese is very, very good. And Lidl, too. So either of those are also 
acceptable. Okay, so uh, bread is important to all of us, obviously. Hey, let's plan in August or September on a Wednesday night fellowship to do a sandwich night. How about that? We can all bring our favorite sandwiches, we'll slice them and we can share. Kelly, can you remember that? Okay. Yeah, she, yeah. Well, hey, you gotta re- you, you're younger, you have to remember what I forget. So bread is important to all of us, very important to our culture and uh, to everyone, to everyone. And bread was important in the Bible as well. This is really hard to transition into, into all this after it went so far. But bread is important in the Bible. This is something I learned this week that I didn't realize, that bread appears 239 times in the Old Testament and 79 times in the New Testament, and very rarely is meat mentioned. And that's, in, that's important for our story today, is because in that day, meat was only for the rich people. The common person didn't have access to meat. It, it's hard for us because we have access to everything. But back then, they didn't have access to all that. And that brings me back to my story of my mom that was the youngest of 12. Her dad died when she was young, was raised by a single mom with 12 kids, and they were dirt poor, hand-me-downs. And so when she would go to, to lunch and they would pack their lunch, she would have peppers and eggs. And they were made fun of because of that, because that showed that they were poor. Now it's a delicacy, and I get that uh, in that. But they were poor. So this boy that is going to present his bread to Jesus It says in John, and no other uh, uh, gospel says it, it was barley bread. And barley bread was used to feed the animals. This boy was poor. He was poor, and yet he offered what he had to Jesus. And here's your takeaway. Not all the sandwiches, not all the breads. That's just for fun. Here's the takeaway. When you don't have enough, Jesus is enough. And he takes what's not enough and he makes it more than enough. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Let's walk through this now a little bit, a little bit here. Uh, the people of the day, they knew hunger. They were more dependent on the harvest than we are. Because if they had a bad harvest, they could go with, without. You know, we go to grocery stores and some of that happening now and there's not much in the bread aisle. But we're not going to starve to death. Most of us have enough at home to last us a while. And if your family or your grandparents grew up during the Depression, which mine did, my grandparents had enough in their home, in their garage, to feed the 20,000 people right here. Because they knew what it was like, what? To not, not have enough. Okay? So the people in which Jesus was dealing with were people that understood hunger They were dependent on the harvest, which was dependent on the weather, and bread was a big deal. So we pick up this story here in John chapter 6 of what Pastor Joe read, that Jesus had done many miracles to this point. He taught with authority, and so, and the miracles, so there were thousands of people that were following him. We would say there's the feeding of the 5,000, but in actuality, that's only the men. There was probably 15 to 20,000 people. So imagine that, uh, an arena full of people. And we'll use the number 20 just for sake of our purposes today. Then Jesus does something interesting. He sees the 20,000 people, and it's getting late. And it's time to eat. And he picks out one disciple in particular. And he picks out Philip. And he says to Philip, 
um, where can we buy enough food to feed all of these people? And what, what's the answer? Well, nowhere. I mean, it would be hard-pressed for us to feed 20,000 people from, from you know, our resources now. But why did he single out Philip? Well, one commentator says he was from the area, so he would know his way around. And that's probably part of it, but I doubt it. I, I, I think it's more that Philip needed to learn a lesson. And it was a test for Philip. Not so that he could fail, which he did, but so that he could learn. He could learn. And so he chose Philip out of, all of the, out of all 12 of the disciples because Philip was probably a detail guy. Dave Ramsey in his teaching on finances said, usually in marriages there's free spirits and, there, and he uses the term nerds. And I would say there's big picture people and there's detail people. And both are necessary. Like, like for me, yeah, like, like Lego did you say? Oh, let it go. Oh. Oh, she said, let it go. So I'll be available for lunch today if anybody wants to offer. But we have big picture in detail. I'm a big picture person. I'm a little more like this all over the place and, and uh, like that. And my wife is a detail person. And thankfully for that, because financially, either I would be in jail or something terrible would happen. You need both of those. But both uh, types of personalities have lessons that we need to learn. Okay, But in this particular instance, he's not saying that Philip being the detail person is worse than anybody else. He just wants to teach Philip a lesson at this particular time. Okay, So Philip, he goes into the mode of... Um, well, it says in verse 6, this is only a test. Let me jump ahead. He was testing him. Uh, for this. Philip answers, because he looked at the crowd and he's going, times to feed all of them. And in his mind, his equation was this, there are too many people plus too little money equals ain't going to happen. <laughs> See? And that's what Jesus wanted to get to the root of in Philip's life. Was Philip there when he... When he uh, Turn water into wine. Yep, he was, because the disciples were invited to the wedding. Was Philip there when he healed the nobleman's son? Yep. Was Philip there for the many other miracles that we don't even know about? Yes, he was. But Jesus wanted to teach him an important lesson, and here it is. And maybe this is a lesson for all of us today. Human effort is never enough to meet our greatest needs. Human effort is never enough to meet our greatest needs needs. We met uh, as staff this morning before the online service, and we, we go over the order of service. Everybody knows what they're doing, and, and uh, we pray together. Uh, and I talked about a little bit this morning, hey, let's, let's look for opportunities outside of the natural. With our staff, I was thinking about it. I, I wrote about it this week for membership class. Pastor Rick's been with us for 15 years. Justin and Kelly, 13 years. Pastor Joe and his family, seven years. Roe is three years already. Uh, I just can't get rid of these people. But uh, they, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And I don't need to tell them how to do their immediate jobs. But I said, what if, what if we offered ourselves to God to do something out of the natural? What if we said, God, I, I want to look at things today 
from your perspective? And what, what if there's a person there that, yeah, I can greet them in the natural realm, but what if, what if, Lord, you gave us a word to minister to them in the supernatural realm? And I say that to the staff, and I say that to, to all of us here today. What if, what if we just offered Jesus what we had, and he took it, and he made it more than enough? What if we offered ourselves to him and said, God, I just want to be used by you in any way possible to maybe go beyond my natural abilities and you could, you could do something special through me. See? So I challenge all of you in that. Human effort is never enough. We need something more than human effort to meet the needs of mankind and to meet our own needs. It's not that God helps those who help themselves, it's that God helps those who can't help themselves. Did Philip pass the test? Nope, he didn't. He failed miserably, but here's the good news. With Jesus, failure is not final and failure is not fatal. That's the good news. We could look back on our lives and say, wow, I wish I would have, I should have. If I had the opportunity again, those are tests that we might have failed but I've found that Jesus gives us a retest, a redo. I can't tell you how many times I've missed the opportunity and I've said, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I missed it. I, I know that was you prompting me, but I missed it. God, would you give me another opportunity? And he does. He does. So we've all failed God's tests, I'm sure. Looking at you, I'm pretty sure. We've all failed God's tests, but it's not fatal. It's not final. He'll give you another opportunity. Look what he did in Philip's life anyway. So then Andrew chimes in. Now, Andrew's brother was Peter, okay, another of the disciples. And he spoke, and he said, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? So we find out about this boy, and Andrew didn't have a full perspective, but at least he was willing to offer something. Okay, to Jesus. So we find out this boy was poor. He was unknown. We, we still don't know his name. But yet 2,000 years later, we're still talking about this young boy. He was poor. He was insignificant. He had no name that's given in Scripture. And he gave what he had to someone that had no need. Here's the point. Jesus takes the insignificant, insufficient offerings, and he makes them significant and sufficient. When we give him the not enough, he makes it enough. And you'll see at the end of the story, and it becomes more than enough. That's what God is able to do with your life if you just give it to him. The good news is the, of the gospel is you don't have to have it all together. The good news of the gospel is your realization that you don't have it all together. That's enough. And then he makes it enough, and then it becomes more than enough. God specializes in taking the not enough. Look, he made Adam out of dust. He made a huge, a tremendous weapon out of a jawbone of a donkey for Samson. He took a shepherd's rod and, and Moses' hands and made it powerful. He took a, a, a simple sling and used it by David to kill Goliath. In the first century, he, what was more insignificant than a virgin girl named Mary in a tiny town that no one knew about until Jesus came? 
God used her to bring forth the Messiah. What makes a great gift is not the magnitude of the gift. It is into whose hands it is given. If you take what you have and give it to God, you will find it is more than sufficient for whatever task is before you. Jesus can take the not enough and he can make it enough. The disciples didn't have enough money. The boy didn't have enough bread and fish. But he offered it and God made it more than enough. Max Licato says this, have you asked God to do that to supply what you need? We've all had times of not enough, and I'm not just talking financially, although that, I think that's a part of it, but it's not the only thing. Have you asked him really? God says that he is more than willing to fill the empty vessel of your life. In fact, that he is urging you to let him fill it. The Bible says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches. Have we offered to God are not enough? God, I don't have enough, but you can make it enough. Jesus didn't have to use the boy's bread, right? He, he could have turned the nearby bushes into fruit trees, right or wrong? Uh, he could have caused the Galilean Sea to spew out enough fish. They could have just, I mean, he created them. He could have just spoke the word, and that could have happened. Instead, he chose to use a single basket of the small boy. Lakato goes on to say, what's in, in your basket if all you have is a, a wimpy prayer because you've been beat up by the things of the world and you've been beat up by life, and life is hard, and life is hard for Christians too. We don't walk in some realm that we never face difficulties. We just have someone from a different realm that walks with us, you see. That's the difference that it makes Maybe we're just beat up and we don't have the prayers. I, I've been with people that they've served God, but at that particular time, they, they, they couldn't even pray. Maybe Jesus was the only word they could speak. Maybe Jesus is the only word that really matters. Maybe he can take the not enough and make it enough, and then he makes it more than enough. Maybe he can have you offered that to him. What meager skill do you have? Use it. If all you have is an apology, offer it. If all you have is you're forgiven, then offer it. It's not for you or me to add or to tell uh, Jesus our gift is too small. God can take the small and he can make it a big thing. God used the whimper of baby Moses. To, to move the heart of Pharaoh's daughter. He used David's sling and stone to overthrow the mighty Goliath. He used three nails and a crude cross to redeem humanity. If God can turn a basket into a buffet, don't you think he can do something with your five loaves and two fishes of faith? Have you asked? God, I don't ha 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 have enough, but this is, this is all that I have. Can, can you take what I have and, and can you make it more than enough? And then what you'll see when you offer him that's not enough, he'll take it, not only make it enough, but he'll make it more than enough. And again, it's not just about money. For some of you, it might be financial problems, but it could be relational problems. God, I don't know if I can muster the mercy 
that I need. God, I don't know if I can muster the grace that I need. God, I don't know if I can offer forgiveness. God, I don't know if I have any more time to give. My life is so hectic as it is. God, I, I don't have enough, but Jesus, I offer you my not enough. Would you make it enough? John 6, 11 says this, And Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Think of that. And he did the same with the fish. They all ate as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. There was no fanfare, no lights, no camera, no action. John MacArthur, who is, if you know him, is not a Pentecostal. He's a good Bible preacher. Not a big Pentecostal. <laughs> That's a joke if you know that situation. But throughout his ministry, Jesus could have thrilled the watching crowds with spectacular displays of divine power. He could have made the temple spin on his finger if he wanted to. But instead, he chose to display his divine compassion on the real needs of real people. That's Jesus. That's the one that we look towards. That's the, the one that we point other people towards. He delivered people in need. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. They weren't sensational magic tricks. The miraculous feeding of the 5,000 was an act of compassion on people that didn't have enough. He just gave thanks and he broke the bread and fish. And who distributed the loaves and fishes? The disciples. And who was one of the disciples? Philip. Lesson learned. See? Lesson learned. He didn't need to use the disciples. He wanted to teach the disciples. Can you imagine? I don't know how it worked. But can you imagine them just keep 20,000 people? And he had them sit in groups. I get all of that. The organizational structure of Jesus. I get all of that. But can you imagine the disciples as they saw this happening? I don't know that the person in the back of the 20,000 knew all that was happening. But somehow they got fed. Maybe at the back of the line they thought, well, there'll never be enough. Maybe you felt like your life, you've always been at the back of the line. This is a weird example, but it's all I could think of. Behind the eight ball, we would say, your whole life. Maybe Jesus looks first at those that are last. And he provides for them as well. When they had all that enough, all that they could eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Watch. Don't you love that? God never provides just barely enough. God isn't a God of just going to give you an eyedropper fool. God is a God of more than enough. If you offer him the not enough, he makes it enough, and then he makes it more than enough. More than enough. Not only were 20,000 people fed, but all of the disciples were fed because how many baskets were collected? Twelve baskets filled with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. God has enough for leftovers. But are you willing to give him your not enough? 
I want to go back to this boy and Andrew. Philip looked at it, can't be done. I think Andrew had the, you never know. I want to go with Andrew on the, you never know. Because I've seen God do some crazy things. And maybe this, these loaves and fishes he can do something crazy with. Maybe you look at what you have and you say, well, that's not enough to make a difference. But maybe it's that very thing that you consider insignificant. That he wants to make significant. Maybe it's those very things that aren't enough that he wants to make enough. So that not only will you have enough, but others' lives will be changed as well. We can all look at our lives and say, what can we present to God? Whatever we present to God on our best day is not enough. But whether you present yourself on your best day or your worst day, He takes your not enough and He makes it enough. And He can use your life to touch other lives. Because God is the God of more than enough. Your financial situation, offer it to God. Your, your, your family situation, offer it to God. Your work situation, offer it to God. Your, your own emotional well-being, offer it to God. And let God do what only He can do. And I'll close with this. He can take the not enough and make it enough. And then He gives us more than enough. That's what Jesus can do. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.